Well, thank you, uh, worship team, for leading us in worship. It's great to sing some carols again, isn't it? Uh, I guess we have three more services where carols will be front and center. Before I share a message with you this morning, I'd like to just talk about two things very briefly. Uh, first of all, we just wrapped up our Alpha program. Uh, we ran uh, 12 Alphas on Tuesday evenings, and we had such a wonderful time. Uh, I think, as most of you know, Alpha is all about introducing people to Jesus. <laughs> but Christians also enjoy taking the course because, boy, it's a great introduction, a review of the Christian faith. And, and we really had so much fun. We had uh, 50 participants all together. And, well, I guess 26 were participants and 24 were, were helpers, but all those helpers really became participants as well. So we just had great times around seven different tables here, and it just went so well. We had great food, oh, really great food, <laughs> engaging uh, presentations. Uh, this is the new Alpha that's a little more condensed, but they've really done it in a creative way. Uh, sometimes you should take it and bring, a, bring your neighbor. But anyways, we also had some really thoughtful, I think, uh, roundtable discussions. And on top of that, really some great fellowship. It's amazing how close people to get eat 12 times together and have discussions, and you become friends. And most people in, around the circles were saying, hey, does it have to come to an end? Does it really have to come to an end? So it was just, it just really wonderful. And, you know, I, I'm really pleased to announce, I think there's some people who came to faith during it. And, and here's some of the other quotes that people said to me. The course reintroduced me to my Lord. It really helped. It came at just the right time in my life. Wow, now I understand, and so much more. So anyways, friends, it was just a great time, and um, I'm so pleased to tell you that 14 of our participants are actually going to be joining up with one of our life groups that will start here in the month of January. And finally, a big thanks to all those who worked, and they really had to work. Our menu planner, our many cooks, our kitchen helpers, our food servers, our dishwasher, our table setters, our table leaders and hosts, our greeters, our sound tech, and yes, the good old cleanup crew. Thank you so very much. Secondly, I really want to mention this this morning. Life groups are really a big part of our church. And we do life groups for the purpose of studying God's word, for prayer, for fellowship, and yes, sometimes a lot of great food. Usually at the end of each semester, kind of we have potlucks. Well, I had two potlucks in the last 10 days, and I'll tell you, they were gourmet potlucks. Oh, they were so good. And I should say this too, that we're really asking, uh, really encouraging all our small groups uh, to join in with our gift book series. I think this is our 18th or 19th year now we've done a gift book. This one's been written by our staff, and it's called On purpose. It sounds like the first one we did 18 years ago when we did The Purpose Driven Life, but it's going to be called On Purpose, and here's the subtitle, Playing Our Part in God's Big Story. So I think you'll really enjoy it, and uh, we do have at least two new groups are heading, starting up for this season, and, and finally, if, um, if you're not in a group and would like to, just talk to me, and uh, I'll, I'll tell you a little bit about all the groups, and uh, we're hoping that... Uh, we can have everyone join a group for this season. And if you're already hosting a small group, oh, it would be so wonderful if you just reach out to a couple more people. And if 25 groups did that, that would be 50 more people in our small groups, right? So you know the math. Anyways, this morning, friends, I'd like to share a message with you. Um, it sounds a little presumptuous, but uh, 
I, I just trust that God will, will use me this morning to help you think clearly about Christian living. Um, so this time, I'm going to encourage you to take out God's Word, but this morning, we're in so many different scriptures. Uh, I prepared a half-page handout in your bulletin, and you'll see 13 scriptures on one side and 13 on the other side. And, and if you want like your own, you maybe just pop your hand out and our ushers here will make sure you get a copy of that. I'd really love to have you to keep it in front of you this morning because I'll be not putting the scriptures up on the screen here this morning, only a few. So if you had that in front of you, that would be really good. You can just pop your hand up if you need one. I have some extra ones upstairs as well if you need one. Thank you so much. Friends, if you were to read through um, some of my older Bibles and, uh, and you read mar my margins, you'd see that I really like to write in my Bible. Sometimes I'll write on the side, oh yes, please Lord. But what I often do, and I've done this for like 45 years, I write this little word, this phrase, my part. And then on the other side, sometimes I'll put my part, and then I'll say God's part. So you'll see this very often in the margins of my Bible. And, and reason, the reason I did this was I was really trying to understand what's my role in Christian living and what's God's part and helping me to live the Christian life. And I should tell you, this was all precipitated by something I was taught when I was in my early 20s. I came under this teaching that basically said this, that Christian living is a no-effort-required activity. And I actually have one of my dearest friends who holds to this particular teaching. And it always just kind of it didn't sit right with me. And so I've been pursued for many, many years. What is my part and what is God's part? So this morning, I want to take you on my 45-year journey here to discover what, in fact, is my part in Christian living and what is our part in Christian living and what is God's part. So let's begin this morning. I'm going to begin by reading a list of scriptures that speak so clearly to the question, what does God expect of us? Yes, what does God expect of us? So you'll see on your, your handout there, your half-page insert, a number of verses that make it very clear that God has some great expectations of you and I. And here they are. Therefore go, Summit Drive Church, and make disciples of all nations. And that's exactly what Nathan and Melissa are seeking to do. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And by the way, friends, that's going to be our big focus for 2019. We're going to go right through Matthew's gospel and focus in on what, in fact, Jesus is asking of us. Mark 8:34. Very strong statement from the words from the mouth of Jesus. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Jesus is obviously calling us to deep deep commitment to him. And then Mark 12, 30 and 31a. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. Yes, with your entire being. And the second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. Yes, love others just like you want to be loved. And then Jesus' words, a new command I give to you, 
Love one another. And now we're told how? As I have loved you, so you must love one another. Yes, love others in sacrificial ways. And then maybe one of our key verses this morning, we're going to come back to this a little later on. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, at Summit Drive, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Yes, in light of all that God has done for you, but offer ourselves back up to God. And as Paul says, it's, it's an act of worship. So if John, you're out for a walk today, John Coffin, you just said to the Lord as you're out walking, Lord, I just give you myself once again. I surrender to your purposes. You know, Jonathan may not have his guitar in his hand, but that's an act of worship. See, we, we can worship all the time. A surrendered heart is a worshiping heart. And then this beautiful verse from Romans 12, 13. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. And friends, sometimes you need to speak to the staff here about a need you know. Don't keep it hidden. Share it with us. We want to do everything we can to share with our brothers and sisters who are in need. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be an enthusiastic servant. You know what, Colton? This reminds me of you. You know, I'm sitting in my office and the youth is about to begin and Colton will always say, I'm just so excited about this evening. And he's been saying that for two years. <laughs> when he stops saying that, I'll say, Colton, what's wrong? <laughs> but he says that all the time. He's so passionate about what he's doing with our youth. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Wow. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in God, Christ, God forgave you. Boy, boy, isn't this what human relationships are all about, if we can get this right? But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always let him reign there. Always let him reign in the center of your being. And then finally, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace, in its various forms. Yes, be agents of God's grace so that you can bless others. Now, let me just summarize this for a moment. I know that's a lot of ideas, <laughs> a lot of ideas. <laughs> God expects us, friends, to be involved in the task of disciple-making. He expects us to allow Jesus to be our loving leader. He expects us to love him with our whole being, he expects us to love others sacrificially. He expects us to offer ourselves, our entire selves, back to him as an act of worship. God expects us, friends, to share with our brothers and sisters in need. He expects us to serve him and others with a servant attitude. And he, Jesus always says, hey, if you want to be great in my kingdom, become everyone's servant. We have this kind of saying in our culture, who do you think I am, your servant? And Jesus said, yes. Yes, you're supposed to be that. And I know there's, you know, can't be walked on and kind of this kind of stuff. But anyway, he really expects us to have a servant attitude that when we come to our job, you may be the CEO of a corporation, but you're there to serve those people and serve the interests of that company. He expects us to, friends, to do the good things that he's planned in advance for us to do. And, and, you know, surely 
God called you to head up that pregnancy care center, and you, you, you did well. You were a great servant to that. And that was your calling upon your life at that time, and there's something new coming. I'm sure there is, surely. To do the good things, yes, he's planned in advance for us to do, to treat people with kindness and compassion and to be forgiving, the very things we really need from other people, right? And yes, to use our gifts to build up his church. And of course, if I would say to you now, what else? What else is God expecting of us? And if I had a piece of paper here and started writing, you could give me, I think, 40 more ideas, all right found in the scriptures themselves. Some of you say, hey, he's called us to be encouragers. He's called us to be peacemakers. He's called us to listen well, to accept people who think differently than we do, to pray for those who have hurt you, to speak the truth in love, to honor those others above yourselves, and so, so much more. Friends, I think it's fair to say that God has some pretty great expectations of you and I. If we're going to be his followers, if we're going to be followers of Jesus Christ, we live under some very significant expectations. For a few minutes, um, let me just share a few personal convictions about this rather extensive list of expectations. Firstly, I actually find this list fairly attractive. And I think you guys do as well because isn't this life at its best? Loving God and loving people? Like when do we function better than when we're doing these types of things? I find the things that God's asked us to do are really, really beautiful. Secondly, I think that this list here is very life-enhancing. I mean, show me someone who's actually engaged in this, and you'll show me a pretty happy, joyful person, and a person who is most certainly a real blessing to other people. Thirdly, I think I consider this list of expectations kind of like an invitation, an invitation to partner with God in his great plan to overcome evil with good. Some call this the divine conspiracy. I like that. Friends, when we do these things, we push back darkness around us. And fourthly, I want to say that these expectations put me in my place. In the sense that this is how I've been called to live. I'm designed to live this way. And so are you. You're designed to love God with all your heart. And you're designed to love people. And finally, and this is related to what I just said. God's expectations of us, of me, most certainly give me something of infinite value to do in the last quarter of my life. How could I spend my time any better than focus on these things? I don't think anyone's going to be able to come up with a list that would be more wholesome, more purposeful than this list. Friends, to say it once again, the creator of our world has some great expectations of us. Can I have an amen? Debbie's not here to give it right now. so. But, and this is a big but, as I read the Bible, it becomes very, very clear to me that we should also have some very, very great expectations of God. Consider with me 
the following scriptures. And as I read them, hear what you can expect of God. Here we go. And Jesus says to us, And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And Paul says, And we know that in all things, and boy, underline all things there, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And then for God, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son. That's our destiny. And then in Corinthians, First Corinthians 10, 13, friends, let's get our head around this because we all know something about temptation. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. There's times I think we really do, honestly, if we're honest, we feel like we're being pushed right to the end of what we could say no to. But he promises that we will not. And think about that. He has about 3 billion followers. And he's having to monitor the temptations that are coming. You know, I think if I had to monitor my own temptations, that's enough. But he's got the whole world, you might say, in his hands. And he's monitoring their temptations that they'll not be greater than they compare. But when you're tempted, he will also, what? Provide a way out? There's always, always a way out. We can expect that from God. He'll provide a way out. But the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and forbearance and kindness and goodness and faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. Wow. And I love this promise in Galatians 1.16. Being confident of this, says Paul, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Years ago, there was a conference speaker by the name of Bill Gothard. He taught his program called Basic Youth Conflicts. He changed it to Basic Life Principles. And he would have a come to the Coliseum. There'd be 15,000 people taking this course. And he gave people a little button. And I think that button was rooted in this verse of scripture, and it read, in fact, it was just the first letter of each of these words, but it read, please be patient with me. God is not finished with me yet. And uh, I think he encouraged people to wear that button so that people would say, what in the world does that button mean? And so you could share that witness because it's true. God is personally involved in our lives and he's not finished with us yet. And then Philippians 3, 20 and 21 but our citizenship is in heaven. We all carry dual citizenship, and we eagerly wait a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control. What a statement, eh? Who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, and one day it will be, and he's going to transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Wow. Wow. And then this promise to a generous church in Philippi. And my God will meet all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Friend, that's a promise to us as long as we're generous as a church. We always have to be looking out. The moment we stop looking out, I don't think this promise applies to us anymore. And then Hebrews 4.16. Let us then, yes, let us then because Christ is our great high priest at the Father's right hand, let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and grace and find grace to help us in our time of need. He is always there to dispense grace and mercy to us. And then 2 Peter 3.13, 
could have gone to Revelation and some of those great promises of what heaven's going to be like. But Peter says it very succinctly. He says, but in keeping with his promise, we're looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. Huh. Don't we wish we were in a, a world right now where righteousness dwells? There'd be no rioting in the street. Uh, no weather patterns that are not conducive to life. No more conflicts. That's what he has for us. And then finally, my dear children, I write to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. It's, it's like he's our heavenly lawyer. We blow it and we turn to him and ask for forgiveness and Christ is speaking to the Father already. Harry blew it again. But my one time sacrifice is the penalty and the payment for his sin and the father says yes yes it is we have this wonderful lawyer he's called Jesus so let me summarize what can we expect of God well his presence that he'll always work things for our good and friends we need to understand good especially in terms of character that's what God considers really good he wants us to be people of great character. That God will always work our, for our good, that God will conform us to the image of the Son. There's the ultimate good that he's working for. That God will not let us be tempted beyond what we're able, and he's always providing a way out. Friends, we can bank on the Holy Spirit who indwells us. is always seeking to build virtue in our lives. That Christ will transform our bodies that he will meet all our needs. Hmm. He promises us his ongoing help. Hmm. We can bank on God to give us an eternal home where everything works as it should. There'll never be another funeral or a celebration of life in heaven. And that Jesus will always speak to the Father in our defense. And of course, again, this is not a comprehensive list. Again, if I put up a big sheet of paper here and started writing, you would start firing back to a whole bunch of other things that you are convinced that we can expect from God. We can expect his peace, his comfort. We can experience his, his love that floods our hearts. We can expect him to give us good ideas when we need one. We can expect the Holy Spirit to lead us into truth. We can expect God to equip and empower us for everything he's calling us to be and do. And again, so much more. And friends, wouldn't you agree with me that the expectations that we can have of God are far greater than the expectations that God has of us? I really believe so. Now for a few minutes, let me just reflect on this list. Friends, we might as well practice the presence of God because he's promised it to us. We can commune with him all day long. Secondly, God sure has great plans for us, doesn't he? Tremendous plans for us. He's going to give us bodies fit for eternity. He has plans to conform us to the image of his son. Wow. Wow. You struggle with sin now, one day you will not. He's going to give us a place that our hearts yearns for because we know that this is not heaven. We have days when it feels like heaven, like on your wedding day or something like that. You know, it's just the greatest days of your life. 
Maybe when you graduate from school and, the, man, you're just so, yes. Or maybe when you score your first goal playing hockey or something like that. But this is not heaven because you know there's so much brokenness and hardship on this planet. God has great plans for us. Thirdly, the fact that he's sovereign over temptations amazes me. And you know, I started looking back last night because I've been asked to do something with a group of pastors and I started thinking over how often God's intervened and you can see his hand. It's easier to see it when you look back than sometimes when you're in the midst of it. Fourthly, are we ever resourced? Baptists need to talk about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is producing virtue in our lives. And fifthly, friends, God has an ongoing invitation to every one of us. Come to the throne of grace to receive mercy and grace to help you in your time of need. Friends, let's be those who storm the throne and even ask for him to help us do things that we think we can already do pretty well. Why not? Why not? Friends, as I study the scriptures, we have to, I, I'm totally convinced that the God who re, is revealed in Scripture is so very personal. He wants to do life with us right now and then forevermore. Don't wait to do life with God, friends. Start now. So now I want to take you back to the opening question here today. In regards to Christian living, and we're not talking about salvation. We know that salvation is totally a gift of God. We can't do anything other than to embrace what he's offered us. We're talking about Christian living here. In regards to Christian living, should our focus be on what God expects of us or should it be on hmm, what we can expect from God? Now, how we answer this question, I think, is really important. Let me show you two extremes. If we think that our focus should be on primarily what God expects of us, we may end up thinking and acting as if Christian living is really, well, all up to us. And translate that into a church. If you've ever attended a church, and I hope you haven't, that only focuses on what you ought to do week after week and only sermons are, come on, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You need to do this. You need to sacrifice more. You will eventually feel a little bit spiritually beat up. And I know that to be true because I have a few friends who along life's way have sat under that type of ministry. Pastors, we can lose our way. And my wife experienced a little of that growing up. Where the only comments about oughtness, in fact, very often those churches will even go beyond what Scripture says and start talking about length of hair and length of skirts. Must break God's heart. Conversely, what if you were to go to a church that solely focus on what we can expect from God, you may end up thinking or acting as if Christian living is a no-effort-required activity. And that would likely lead to extreme passivity in regards to all that God is clearly calling us to do. Friends, I believe we need to avoid both extremes. For Christian living is neither a no-effort-required activity and neither is it an all-up-to-you activity. 
And I think that should be obvious to us all this morning because if we were going to have a debate on this, well, at least we have 13 scriptures that are saying, boy, God has great expectations of us. And we have at least another 13 saying, boy, God, we can have a lot of expectations of him. Which leads me to say this, and you'll find this kind of conviction on that little bookmark I put in your bulletin this morning, which simply says this, Christian living involves focusing on both what God expects of us and what we can expect from God. But now I want to say something that really is more important than even that. This is, you might say, my my thesis, my deepest conviction regarding Christian living. Christian living, friends, is best understood as an ongoing response to all that God has done for us, is doing, and will do for us. Let me say that again. Christian living is best understood as an ongoing daily response to all that God has done, is doing, and will do for us in Christ. In closing, let me just explain this a little bit. Firstly, like what has God done for us already? Well, what is really clear is that he has saved us from our sins and he's reconciled us to himself forevermore through Christ's death and resurrection on the cross. And it's like he doesn't have to do anything more after that. (laughs) But he has. We are now his children. We belong to him. And he's given us the Holy Spirit as a guarantee of all that is to come. And of course, so much more. Secondly, what is God presently doing right now for you and I? You know, the other night, uh, I invited uh, six or eight men to come and share with some of the other guys, hey, what's God doing in your life right now? And, and if you were there and you heard those testimonies, you'd have to conclude, yes, God is very personal. He is working in every one of those men's life in some unique way. That's what God does. There's always something going on in your heart because God is there. Friends, in brief, God is working out all things for our good. He's working in your heart so that actually you'll actually will and act according to his good purpose. Presently, right now, the Holy Spirit is seeking to develop virtue in you. Presently, he is helping us to overcome temptation and helping us to do the good works that he's prepared in advance for us, and yes, so much more. And I've really spoken this to this already, but the next final question... What is God going to do for us? And this should be a smile and joy to our heart. In fact, if you read 1 John, understanding these type of concepts that actually help purify you. And it's these type of things. He's going to give us a place to live forever where everything works right. He's going to give us new bodies fit for eternity. And he's going to complete the great work that he began in you when you embrace Christ as maybe a four-year-old or a five-year-old or maybe even in your latter years. He's going to complete what he began in you, and you're going to look like Jesus. That's going to be your character. And friends, I want to say, it's out of all this, yes, all that God has done for us in Christ is doing and will do for us in Christ that motivates us to fulfill the expectations he has of us. The more we understand what he's done for us in Christ, the more we understand what he's doing right now, the more we understand what he's going to do for us, the more we will want to say, yes, what do you expect of me, Lord? I want to get about it.
because we're motivated by his love and kindness and grace. Friends, it's never the other way around. John says it very simply when he writes this. We love because he first loved us. It's never the other way around. Our Christian living is a big response to his love. And then I think Paul says it really well in Romans. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters at Summit Drive, in view of God's mercy, yes, in light of all that he's done for you in Christ, and you can read it, by the way, in Romans chapter 1, right through chapter 11, and then comes this great verse. Yes, in light of all that he's done for you, offer your bodies back to him as a giant act of worship. Christian living is always begins with what with, with God has done for us. And Christian living is also sustained by what God is doing right now and will do for us in the future. And that's why simply focusing in on the requirements that God and the expectations he has us will not be enough motivation. I do believe that the most highly committed Christians on this planet the most highly committed and effective Christians on this planet are those who most profoundly understood his kindness and his grace and his love. So friends, this is where my 45-year journey has led me. (laughs) If you want to live the Christian life well, if you want to be a person that takes great light in actually doing all the things he's called for us, then grow. Grow continually in your understanding of what he's done for you, what he is doing, and will do for you. For therein lies all the motivation and power for Christian living. Amen.